Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Bruce Hazel. Bruce is a partner at Trimline, a family-run business based right here in London, which has brought leading technology and innovation to the British tiling market. Bruce, a very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Good morning, Scott. It's good to speak to you and uh, very much looking forward to the first question here. Likewise, it's a real pleasure having you on the air with us, Bruce. And um, the purpose of this discussion is to really establish your take on leadership. So if we just dive straight in and look at that word leader in isolation for a second, what does that word actually mean to you and how does it resonate? That's a good question, Scott. A leader leads by example, and a leader will inspire and motivate the whole team. What you can really see is in a successful business is that good outcomes are the result of great leadership. In challenging times, staff are looking for that confidence, and where there's been a failure or there's been times when sales haven't come in, a good leader will remain positive and you might say draw and attract the team to towards the goal of a bright future. So where we are now in challenging times with COVID-19 and some staff furloughed, if a good leader would keep in contact with them and keep them motivated for the day they can come back to work and join the team so that uh, we can come out of this pandemic leaner and stronger. And if every business does the same, that means that we can continue to be run profitable businesses, which will actually put money back into the Treasury. And in the words of Sajid Javit, and speaking to him once, he said, it's a virtuous circle. Mm. And we're just very thankful for good government, good leadership, and we would like to respond with successful and profitable businesses going into the future, 2020, 2021. Thank you, Scott. That's fantastic, Bruce. And um, if we think about now how you've adapted to the uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, I can imagine that that has posed some real challenges uh, for yourselves as well, as it has for all businesses um, around the, uh, the UK. It certainly has, Scott. And we found that businesses down between 60 to 70%. What we've done is, uh, you might say, surgically cut our overheads to the concrete. We've put staff first and foremost. We're very thankful to the government for the day, providing for those staff that are furloughed. And actually what we're all finding, whilst we're isolated at home, we can actually survive on a lot less. We are feeling for those industries that are suffering as a cause of this. We're not traveling. We're not going out and uh, spending money in public places like zoos and um, other places of uh, interest. But what we're finding is that there's a resilience that was seen in the Second World War and is seen now that will see this country through and come out brighter and stronger. 
It is something that's really captured a sort of national sense of unity during this time, isn't it, COVID-19? And I think you're absolutely right in what you're saying there in the sense that those businesses that do make it through this, there will be a new resilience bred within them. It's forced the hand of businesses to innovate as well and automate and really be ready for what this new normal is going to uh, to look like. Um, so there will be some positives to take from that. And we've heard some fantastic stories as well of people who've gone above and beyond during this period in their roles, be they working remotely, adapting to that sort of way of working, be they continuing to work on site under new safety procedures, or be they, of course, furloughed and are just keeping in touch with what's going on and maybe even getting involved in some community initiatives and um, if we think about that in the uh, the context of Trimliner, bruce how would you say that the staff have gone on and sort of composed themselves during this time do you think they've taken to this well and have you been sort of inspired by what you've seen been, we have been very inspired scott firstly the focus of Trimline moving forward is, is to provide the construction industry a bespoke guilt edge guarantee to an efficient and superior solution to mm. all timing installations in especially wet areas, so that new hotels being built, we're coming up with uh, solutions that um, enhances and provides excellent client satisfaction whilst being environmentally friendly. What we're finding is that we're we're actually really focusing on our core industry, which is tiling. But as you say, on the charitable front our furloughed staff are actually using their time profitably to help Mm. the uh, community as a whole. It may be the care of the elderly. It could be involved in litter picking or providing some service to help others. And we're finding that that um, charitable spirit is actually coming to the front so that nobody is uh, wasting their time. They're using it to the best advantage. And also what we're doing for our staff is providing online training courses so that they can actually emerge from this pandemic with a better skill set for the future. And that is very, very encouraging um, as well, though, the fact that there are some really ambitious uh, future plans there and that the staff firm um, at the uh, the business have taken to this uh, quite well and really taken the challenge in their stride, it seems. Um, thinking of the uh, the future, uh, Bruce, uh, just for a moment, um, of course, you've mentioned already that you're quite pleased with the leadership you've seen from the uh, the government level. There's been a lot of debate about, of course, new COVID secure guidelines, etc., going forward um, as businesses start are starting to open up again. Um, are you satisfied that you are very aware aware of exactly what's expected of yourselves business-wise as things begin to uh, continue to open up? Absolutely, Scott. When you rang, I was at the, or close to the desk of our operations manager, and all over his desk was signs mm. of um, relating to COVID-19. We've closed our showroom. He's working towards opening it in a safe and secure manner so that the safety of our staff is first and foremost protection of our staff and then the protection of revenue, the protection of our clients and the protection of our clients' business. That's all first and foremost going forward. And we've taken on a CPE range that we can actually uh, have for all our customers to help them come back and open their retail shops or their sites safely. And that's um, incredibly um, encouraging uh, to hear as well that that's uh, gone down um, quite easily. Um, And 
when we think about the fact that you've been very inspired by what you've seen from those around you, um, Bruce, just for a second, if we backtrack, um, perhaps you could tell myself and the listeners about some of the other big influences and big inspirations that you've had throughout your career and how they've helped you perhaps develop um, into running your own business today. Well, initially I went to a grammar school. I guess I should have gone to uh, further education. I actually took a course in brickwork and jumped from the first to the third to get advanced sitting guilds at uh, Foxhall School of Building. Then went into buying and selling. I guess buying and selling was my passion. And my father-in-law, he had Jewish origin and helped, was a very good in business and helped us start. And I just, um, I got married at a young age and my wife ran her five. I used to put some tile cutters in the back that we got sourced from Germany and they weren't in the shops here. There was an old man, Mr. Scar, Star Street, off the Edgeway Road, said if you bring them in, we'll sell them. And... My father-in-law paid for a rental van to go to Whiptown and Dusseldorf and pick up the first consignment. And we started selling from the back of a car. And somebody said, look, you must have a catalogue. So I went with my wife back to work and we started patching up some pictures, got a catalogue together, and then added notch trails and spaces and trims. And anything to help innovate the tiling industry as a whole in the UK, we brought in and we're now... You might say a one-stop shop for the tiling contractors, for uh, the construction industry, for um, people that are doing even development large-scale on the riverside here with new houses. We're bringing in new innovative ideas to help uh, client satisfaction, you might say, from start to finish on the project. And it's working very well. And we're forming some very good relations with some very good um, tiling contractors with uh, developers, with house builders, and it's working really well, Scott. Mm. That's um, fantastic to hear. And I think um, the examples that you uh, mentioned there, some of the names, including of family members um, of yours, it tells them quite the story, doesn't it? It tells us that leadership can come in many different forms. And sometimes the most influential people can be the ones closest to us. And that links back to the here and now, people just doing their bit in the community during this very difficult time of uh, COVID-19. It shows that we can all be leaders in our own right. And it doesn't necessarily have to take people within the public eye or putting themselves on a pedestal to sort of take on that sort of role does it no and what's really also inspiring is to going out for a walk in the evening with my wife and to get some exercise and seeing other families exercising and as we walk down the road we'll keep social distancing from one another we can still smile at a distance and all raise your hands and it's that spirit of uh, of the i don't know what you call it whether it's patriotism or of really of well-being and really you can see the good coming out in um, each one that really that you can live an enjoy life in the simplest way and even mm-hmm. if you know we've we've got to stay isolated for a while we'll do it as long as the we'll follow gov- government recommendations we respect they won't may not get it right every time but I'm sure they're doing their best. 
Mm. It's all we can do, isn't it? And hindsight is a very wonderful thing for those that do criticise our leaders, both past and present. And if we think about now the future for a moment, um, Bruce, before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme today, Trimline has already been on quite an incredible journey. It's gone from a business in 1995, making sales from the boot of a car to offering more than two and a half thousand products from a greater London premises. But what does the future hold, do you think, over the next sort of 12 to 18 months for the company as we move through COVID-19, hopefully emerge from the other side? and then really begin to look to the long-term future under this new normal that everybody's talking about? That's a very good question, Scott. And what we've got to anticipate is a potential recession. We've got to anticipate that growth will be slower than we'd like it. But if we keep overheads down and we keep the staff motivated so that they are actually producing efficiently, and we reward them well so that they have got money to go out and spend. We can get the economy going again and we can do it in a, you might say, a realistic and sustainable way. And I'm sure we can do it. However challenging the times are ahead, I think we can do it. Certainly a great challenge for um, everybody within the, uh, the business world and governments worldwide um, as well. But, you know, I think given how thought-provoking and informative this has been uh, today, Bruce, I think it would be fantastic to actually catch up in the next few months once we start to understand exactly how the situation is developing, just to see how some of these hopes have been borne out and maybe how much further we need to go to get to where we want to be. I think from a listener's perspective, that would be fantastic, as well as also to have a little bit of an update as to how Trimline itself is getting on as well. That, that, that's excellent. And if I can use the analogy of a, a football team, you think of it whether you're in defence or whether you're midfield or whether you're a striker or a goalkeeper, everyone performing at their best. And that's what we find. We find um, the strengths of everyone and we'll put them into the right seat so that they, they can flourish. And as a team, we will succeed. And you might say um, a, fo- a football team winning a match, it's everyone counting, everyone making it happen. So the credit is to the team, not to the leader. I'll finish with that stop. I think uh, for those tuning into this, that's an incredible message to take away. Um, as a leader, it's not just about yourself at the helm. It's about everybody around you just as much as it is about you. And it's about them also getting the best out of you as much as vice versa, you nurturing the best out of them. Because fundamentally, if you don't have a team around you, you're not necessarily a leader of anything. No. That's excellent. But uh, um, I guess the leader leads from the front, doesn't mm. look over his shoulder. But I can tell you, as a leader, I'm concerned about those that need the most help. And that's where I'll put my focus and help going forward so that everyone gets the best chance. Mm. And. I wish you all the best um, in those um, endeavours, Bruce, for sure. It's been a real pleasure having you on the uh, the programme with us uh, this morning. And most importantly, until we do touch base again in the future, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on because we're certainly not out of the woods with this one yet. Yeah, can I just say a last thank you to Sir Michael Fallon, who is, was our local MP mm. here in Seven Oaks, visited our, our premises and inspired our warehouse team, whether one was from Sri Lanka, Poland, Czech Republic, he said, you're staying. He gave them hope so that whilst we've come out of Europe, we're still, we're still um, going to work with Europe.
Mm, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how uh, that uh, culminates um, as well, isn't it? Because, of course, behind the scenes um, during this uh, crisis, we've seen negotiations continue remotely um, about the uh, the post-Brexit trade deal. We may not be any closer to knowing um, as to what position we'll be in um, come the end of this year, but we can look on it with optimism. We can look on it with hope, can't we? Excellent. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that word of encouragement at the end. I'm sure you're right. Thank you so much, Bruce. I was speaking there to Bruce Hazel, founding partner of Trimline. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that is coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, 
confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it peter's i think probably well i was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players i did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of england and west ham and martin peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as martin's concerned i think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, 
a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out our so I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show you, you got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. 
And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most two stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh, if if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, it's, um, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's 
has, has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field, surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well, he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, 
and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You- we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question. You, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.